Welcome to Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. This podcast will offer weekly episodes equipping passive and active investors alike with the tools, knowledge, and confidence to build wealth through one of the most powerful wealth creation vehicles out there, apartments. Let's get into today's episode. All right, everybody, welcome back. What are we doing today? Money, money, money Monday. What did we do this weekend? We did the MFIN conference. Multi-family investor network. 600 people in Houston. Packed house, sold out, 200 boom, people boom, on the wait boom. list. It's definitely a good time. It was a long three days to say the yes. least. We, yeah, uh, 72 hours getting shot out of a cannon, folks, but we're just we're a little back. bit, a little tired. Yeah, we're back. It's Mondays, 3.30-ish, and we always want to be here. And like we tell people, with you consistency guys. is key. And even though we had everything, we're still here doing this. I never Ben really was just saying he wanted to oh, go home, take a nap. Put that on me. Didn't want to come back, but I'm here for you guys. So don't worry, I'm here for you all. I love doing Money Mondays, and like Ferris said, me, him, or both of us will be here every Monday at 3:30. So what are we talking about today, man? We're just basically doing a lot of Q and A that people came in from the the conference. I mean, you know, during the conference, a lot of questions, a lot of things people wanted to know and understand, and we are here to kind of help go through those and answer Yeah, I them. think these were some great questions, and so we kind of compiled, compiled them together, you know, and ultimately we wanted this to be interactive, folks, so if there's some questions, you're tuning in live, drop your comments, drop your questions in there. Ferris or Shanna will, will pick those up and we'll go through those as well. But essentially we're talking everything multifamily real estate investing, but it could be anything else too. We can talk about single family, we can talk about, talk about the economy, we can talk about tech, partnerships, raising money, whatever it might be. Right, so these are just happen to be some of the ones that we felt were fairly good questions that came in from the conference, and we're going to kind of go through these right now. So, this is in third person. So Ben mentioned real estates were uh, real relationships were with brokers at MFIN. Would you speak to your duty and efforts to maintain and develop relationships with your investors? So I think this is a question like, hey, we spend a lot of effort developing those relationships with the brokers. Yeah. How do we maintain and develop those relationships with investors? Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's really not as hard as it may seem, right? Investors are your customer, right? They Brokers are. are the source of your business, right? They're kind of your supplier, but your customer is the investor. So add value to your investors, right? Be available, answer questions, help figure out ways to be front and center, right? Yep. It's, and I think that's the thing, you know, for us, we do a newsletter, for example, right? We do events to have investors come out and meet us from, you know, our monthly meetup to our Quarterly, I even say the property you know, tour. Yeah, you know, property we, we just, tour that we did yesterday. So, yep. you know, so, and then that's actually a great, a great point, right? You got to be open. You got to be transparent. And ultimately, what we the the message that we we're trying to get across to people this this weekend was networking is key, and being open and transparent and adding value to people is huge these days, right? You know, that's why we're on here. We're giving away content. It's because we're trying to provide value to people, and that attracts people to you, right? Because that is an open, honest, and candid way of doing business. So I would say the best way to develop those relationships is get out and network. You gotta meet people face to face. You can't do it all online anymore. COVID, yes, we still have some, you know, some hiccups for, from it, but it's for the most part in the past. There's a lot of events that are in person these days, including ones that we put on. So come out, pass out some business cards, ask questions, develop those relationships. Even if you're gonna be purely passive, 
You still need to meet people, folks. It's important. You need to have those conversations. You need to vet those folks. In fact, there was a couple of investors that came in Friday before the event that were just here for the event that wanted to stop by, see the office, you know, ask us questions, just see what our operation was yeah. all about, right? And they were so blown away that, hey, you guys, you know, ultimately have a real operation. You guys are, you know, willing to spend some time with me even on a Friday. Yeah. And we say, hey, that's just what we are, right? We want people to feel like, hey, the good, bad, or ugly, you can approach us and you can ask questions. Yeah. And I think people gravitate to that. So, you know, again, it's not secret sauce. No. This is all stuff that's just tried and true and, and, and developing a business and, you know, cultivating, uh, you know, uh, customers, which in this case is investors. Yep. So. Let's keep going. Lots of questions to get there. ever backed out of a multifamily deal and why? Ooh, 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 ooh. We own, the only deal that we got under contract that did not close, we got under contract middle of March 2020. So for anybody that remembers what happened at the end of March of 2020, um, they had this whole little thing of, you know, 15 days to crush the curve or flatten the curve or whatever, and they completely shut down the economy. Well, that's just not really conducive to doing any real estate transactions. So we ultimately had to back out of that and we worked it through with the seller, but that was the only deal that we ever got under contract that we did not close because we do a fair amount of due diligence upfront and we know going into the contract that we're for the most part going to close it. And then once we do due diligence and we walk off that property after those two or three days of walking units and shopping comps, we know 99%, actually 99.9% that we're gonna close that or we're gonna back out of the deal, right? Yep. One of the two things is gonna happen after that. Yeah, no, and on that deal, you know, the seller wanted to keep the deal refi and hold on to yeah. it. So, you know, it so kind it was of kind a, of a, it was a win-win in the end. You know, don't get me wrong. It was, you know, it was, mm -hmm. it was frustrating. It was tough. We had put a lot of money into the deal. We lost money. Obviously, there's hard costs that go into doing due diligence, especially in out of out, out of uh, Houston, right? We had to go mm -hmm. down there and do all that. So that was the only one that we ever backed out of, and I don't want to ever have to do it again because wow. again, we do a lot of due diligence up front to make sure that we don't get into deals that are bad. So moving right along here, what is the best way? a real estate investor can get in good graces with a real estate broker in order to, to obtain pocket listings before you put it on the MLS. Well, there's a lot of crazy stuff that went, went into that question. First of all, we do not shop our types of deals on the MLS. There are smaller multifamily deals that you might see on that. There's really not anything called a pocket listing anymore. Everything, even if it's off market, trust me, there's multiple brokers that are working that, yeah. that, that, that deal and there's multiple buyers groups that are also getting you know, access to that. So, but I'm gonna let, this guy's the, the, the guru when it comes to developing you yeah, know, I mean, like Ben said, everything goes through a broker, right? You want to be the first guy that they call in. Sometimes you have three, four different brokers that'll call you immediately on the same deal, right? Yeah. So it happens. And, it might have happened know, this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be the first person that gets told about deals, and that's how you can go fish and, you know, with, yeah. basically go swim in a, a non-red ocean, right? A little bit less red. Yeah. Um, and so how do you do it, right? It's... It, Brokers, you know, it's like any friendship, right? You gotta meet with people, grab lunch, catch up, get to know them, get to know what they're doing, what their kids are, what they enjoy, right? And figure out ways to stand out, right? I mean, don't be just the bump on the log that only calls about a deal and disappears and you don't ever hear from, right? Think of ways to be creative. That's constantly something that we, we strive for and we think about, right? From, you know, our conference is a way to be creative. We put guys on stage, we send them things at gifts afterwards, right? to other things that you might think about, like, hey, they mentioned that they really like hunting and, you know, maybe 
you you drove by a piece of land with hunting, you take a picture just to start a conversation. Yes. Right? I've done that where you know something in a conversation came up and I just snap a picture and send it to the person just to talk about something that's not apartments, right? It takes time and effort. And you know, brokers are people too. They're not they're good guys, they're fun guys to hang out with and they also and love girls. real they there's also love, women, yeah. but there's there is women yeah. in the business. And they also love real estate as much as you do, right? So it's kind of a win win. They're good friends to have, right? Yes. You can kind of relate to them versus like the high school friends that you don't want to ever see that you don't really have as many ways to relate to anymore. So Agreed. So, you know, I mean again it's you have to have a real relationship with these and I actually talked about this at the conference this weekend. A lot of people you know, they, they get intimidated maybe, or they, they're nervous that maybe the broker will see them as being a newbie and they're not gonna take them seriously. So what they'll do is like, what's the whisper? You know, they'll, they'll ask, you know, the very basic questions just to get the information that they don't have that they can plug into their spreadsheet. And that's all they do, right? You know, you need to go above and beyond that to really be able to show people, hey, we're a legit firm or we're a legit buyer and we can close this transaction. Because ultimately, the reason that these people are so guarded, the brokers that is, is because they don't want to get burned, right? They don't want to say yes to you and then you don't close the deal. Or you, you close it maybe, but you're the biggest pain in the butt for them and the seller, right? And they never want to do business with you. And both of those things happen a lot, trust me. And so you also, once you've built that rapport, don't burn it by being a bad buyer either. You know, you want to be that person that people want to do business with, right? You know, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's important. You got to build that rapport, you know, like any other customer or potential customer, you know, and, you know, maintain it, right? Yep. So, all right, moving along. To disrupt equity, what type of multifamily developments are you looking for and which markets? Are you buying land fully permitted or do you plan on entitling? Ooh, ooh, I should remember the question I was going to ask you earlier, but I'll ask you offline. Um, you know, the answer is we we want to get into for for new development, right? To begin with, we want to get into projects that are pretty much ready to go, shovel right? ready. Not yeah, like the step right before you know, like essentially the, the the site is ready. Most things are figured out, and it's really about putting together the debt, the equity, yes. and picking the GC and rock and rolling, right? I think so. that's shovel ready. That yeah, shovel fair ready? enough. But I guess you know. But I think the problem is so people think shovel ready like it's it's. Ready, not ready, but like it's yeah, just, not yeah. Risk necessarily ready, like where you really can get a shovel out there, but like just to the point where, where what Ferris is saying is, is like it's already entitled. It can do multifamily or whatever you're wanting to build on it. You don't have to go through all that process, right? Yeah. You know. Um, but what types of multifamily developments? That's the ones we would love to do. Some in Texas. We're already looking at some here in Houston. You know, preferably it's something in our backyard, not necessarily because we're scared of doing out of state deals because we do those all the time. It's just more so so we can learn and we can get on, we can put our hard hats on and actually go out and see it being built, right? Um, you know, so that's kind of the answer to that question. Uh, in your opinion, what's the biggest risk considering why when analyzing deals for 2022 and beyond? Okay, this is a fair question, yeah. right? I'll, I'll, I'll let Ferris answer, and then I probably got a different answer. Um, you know, I'd say the biggest risk right now is a good crew. Let's see, what is the biggest risk? I put I'd you say? on the spot, man. I put you on the spot. Just typing. Um, you know, I think the biggest on a deal right now, the biggest risk is getting stuck with a deep value add deal, right? That you know, ultimately you're overpaying, right? Cappers are super tight, and you know, if I'm gonna get stuck, I'd rather get stuck with something a little bit cleaner, nicer. That's true. And that's maybe a risk. Um, I'd say the other risk is just. Even though you hedge for it, I mean, there's still just short-term versus long-term debt risk, 
right? And so, you know, if markets take a dip, you know, yep. being stuck and, you know, is it a rate that you're comfortable at? And can you refi into that in year three, right, where you want to be? Um, I'd say those are my two biggest concerns. Yeah, and that's that's probably going to be mine. You know, I mean, I think you just nobody didn't have really to think about it. You just stole no, my no, answer. No, no, no. Well, I was I was going to talk about interest rates, which are kind of it's, it's kind of related yeah, to debt, exactly. right? You know, I mean, and we talked about this uh, this weekend. On uh, I was on the I was lucky enough to be on the financing panel, and you know, to kind of you know kind of put a spin as a sponsor, right? And I think that the consensus is is nobody knows where interest rates are going to go, right? Everybody thinks they're going to trickle up. But you know how quickly and how far nobody really knows because if they if they jack them up too fast they they could implode the economy, right? You know the other thing that I also like to tell people is that we get caught up on the ten year treasury which you should be keeping up with and I think right now it's hovering around two, but all the bridge debt that you're getting is based off of LIBOR or SOFR, right? So those are totally different metrics. So you need to be looking those up too, right? And I think. Both of those are fairly low, and then on top, then you put a, then your lender is going to put a spread on top of that, right? That's why your bridge debt is almost as cheap, if not cheaper, than what you're going to get from Fannie or Freddie, because Fannie or Freddie is based on the ten year, right? So they're going to take that two percent, then they're going to put their spread, which is typically anywhere from two fifty to four fifty, on top of that. Then that's your all in rate, right? So two plus let's just call it three hundred. Your interest rate is now five, right? You know, versus the sofa, I think was at 0. .05 or something around that, and then they're putting another spread on top of that and call it another 350. So now your all-in rate is 3.55. So bridge debt is actually cheaper right now. I'm but gonna I'm gonna put Ben on the spot. What does sofa stand for? I have no idea, and I'm not even gonna try to answer Secured that. Secured overnight financing rate. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> I actually right. knew that, but I forgot it, and I just looked it up again. So. <laughs> oh, you knew he knew it though. Folks. I did he know it. it. I did he know. Knew, it. He did know it. No, so I think to, to Ferris's point, though, that's probably my biggest concern right now is where is that going to go and what is that going to do to affect the debt market that we're in? Because I'm going to tell you, folks, bridge debt three to five years ago when me and him partnered up was like, you do that when you had a hairy deal. Everything else was Fannie and Freddie, you know, and now it's completely flipped on its side. Everybody's doing bridge. 9.9 times out of 10, that's what people are doing. And what people are not realizing is that in three to five years when all these you know, uh, things come to mature, where are rates gonna be? Because your rate will determine your loan proceeds too. And can you get out of those deals? So we're always cautionary when, when we see people that are kind of really pushing the needle in terms of leverage, just be careful. You know, do you have enough room to potentially you know, still get out of the deal without having to put money into it on a refinance? So that's, that's our biggest concerns, right? Or I would say it may be the biggest risk right now is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, right? Um, but doesn't necessarily mean, so take that out versus the economy, right? So the economy in some cases is still doing very, very well, but the interest rates and how that affects markets is, is also something that you have to take into consideration. So last question, and I want you guys to drop yours in here if you, need, if you want us to talk about them. So for passive investors, is it beneficial to create an LLC to invest with and to collect the distributions? And I'm gonna answer this. Everybody's situation is unique. Yeah, answer it the lazy way. I know, so I'm, not, I'm, I'm gonna put my, my, my legal hat on, right? You know, I mean, you need to obviously consult your, your own financial CPA, legal teams. I would say that you have limited benefit, right? You know, unless you're flying out to the property and you can deduct those expenses and some other things that are, are good when you have an LLC, then maybe you do it that way. But I don't know, what, what's your thoughts on it, man? Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't, you know, again, 
investors are protected just by the structure of the asset and the kind of the entity. Yep. There's really not a lot of reasons. Now, if you're doing, you know, if you're doing one, two, three deals, probably not. If you have 40 deals, absolutely, right? That becomes a business in itself. Yeah, it's a business. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I guess that's a, that's a good point. So to, to what Ferris is saying, right? It's a limited partner, right? So that means that you're limited to the amount of money that you've put into the deal. So you put $100,000 into that project. If that thing goes completely belly up, the GPs completely muck it up, maybe they even committed fraud, maybe they did everything that they could possibly do go wrong on that deal, you're only gonna be on the hook for that 100K. Yes, you'll lose it all, but they're not gonna come after you personally, right? That's how these things are structured, right? And so, you know, in that case, from an asset protection standpoint, probably not. There might be limited tax benefits to doing that, but again, Check with your CPA, check with your legal teams. That's how I'm gonna answer that question. So, I got through that. Any any questions online that we can kind of go through? I'm looking actually right now. So I feel like there's a question that came through on Instagram. All right, keep them um, coming folks. We can talk anything. What's the question? I am, and actually that's a great question. So thank you, Eric, for pushing, uh, putting that out there, man. I am raising money for veterans, homeless veterans, and me and Eric are out there trying to create awareness for the situation that's really, I would say, epidemic in this country, right? You know, So next week, I'll put the URL out there so you guys can go and contribute to this cause. I am matching dollar for dollar everything that anybody invests in. I'm gonna stroke a check at the end of the day and uh, match it as well. So thank you, Eric, you know, and, and dump it into the comments, man, if you, if you do have it, right, you know, what the URL is, love to do it, but we'll put it on next week's show and, and make sure that everybody knows about it. Uh, we also got another one, someone said, buy now or wait for the market crash later this year. I think you know, everybody, you know, they've been saying that, so I got into multifamily in 2014, and they said that was the top of the market, right? You know, and I think every year since then they've been talking about it. At the end of the day, the best the best time to buy real estate is yesterday. The second best time is today, right? You know, at the end of the day, there's always going to be opportunities regardless of where you're at in the market cycle. And if you try about, to time it, then you're, you're always... It's about your deal correctly. Yeah. It's like the stock market, too. You don't want to time the market, right? You just should cost average and continue to buy. Yeah. Right? Same thing with real estate. Structure no. your deal accordingly. Have your mitigations in place. Don't go too leveraged, too extreme, right? Yep. But have a plan. So. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that you know people realize that you have to stay in the market, then keep your ear to the ground. Don't just don't just wait until you hear something on you know CNN money or something like that. Oh, the market's crashing because really, what people in the in the news media really equate to the market crashing is the the uh, equity market or the stocks are are crashing, right? You know, you need to understand that that is one small piece of our overall economy. And even back in eight, nine, and 10, it was important to kind of make a different, uh, a distinction between the different markets. Some just got crushed, like Florida and, and Vegas and some other, you know, California. But Texas was humming along, man. Yeah. You know, eight, nine, and 10 was actually a great time for us. You know, so it's, it's definitely more regionalized, if not localized, and you need to understand that, hey, maybe the real estate, you know, market in these cities is doing horrible but there's other ones that are probably doing pretty good. So don't wait for that market crash. My, my whole point is that you should get into the market. You should definitely just mitigate your risk and make offers. 
All right, we've got another question. In this environment, what is the highest LTV an operator should go up before deals get risky? So we talked about this earlier. I, I, you know, as low as you can comfortably go is the answer. Yes, right. I would Most say of our deals, we're not doing 80. Some people do 85. We're doing like 70, 75 is preference on our deals, yes, right? tops, right? You know, I mean, the there's, there's, there's no reason for us just for various reasons. We don't need to do that, right? I think in a lot of ways, people try to take as much debt as they possibly can and then try to stack some other stuff on top of it just because it's hard for them to raise the money. Right, you know, for us, that's not necessarily a challenge anymore. So we would much rather protect our investors and ourselves by taking a lower leverage loan, and that also gives us more likelihood of success on a refinance that's going to be strong too, right? And so, because you got to realize, if you come in, you're eighty five percent leverage, it's going to be harder for you to pull that money out on a refinance in two to three years, too, because that means you just have to push the needle on the value just that much more. So you know, what is everybody's comfort level with that? Who knows? We're in the 70, 75% range. Cool. I guess is that that's what we it. got? Let's is that keep it? Going. All right. Well, let's keep going then. We did get a comment. Oh, uh, oh. Just some feedback for you guys. Uh, Vlad said, hey guys, after this weekend's event, I've been a huge fan and loved learning, networking, and appreciate all you do. Thanks, Vlad. And hey, I got your message. You know, hit me up, you know, Ben at disruptequity.com if anybody ever wants to talk. Shop. I love this stuff. Um, you know, but. We're talking about our next event. I can't even next believe event. it. So Vlad's comment was about how awesome the event was, and it was. People, a lot of people said pretty much one of the top, you know, if not the top. And I wanted, I wanted to give a shout out to, to Shanna Spree here, you know, head of marketing. She doesn't. Oh, uh, you're right. Okay. Yeah. She got Kick married butt, six months ago. Names. That's my bad. Um, Griffin. Uh, but we call her Shanna here. I don't necessarily ever call her by her last name. But point being is she did a great job. Um, 600 plus people, a lot of great feedback. Sold it was out, positive, sold out. Wait list, so. You know, right, so we're doing another coming one. up when, Ben? What's the date? We well, it was supposed to be it's June 18th, but this summer. We're going to now the date this week and we will figure it out. So. Yeah, we realized that that was Father's Day, which was the next Sunday. So we're not going to do it June 18th. But we are going to do it this summer, maybe July, August. We'll find out, right? And we're hoping maybe D- Denver, right? Yeah. So we're, we're still trying to nail that down. But check it out, MF investornetwork.com slash MFIN summer 2022, right? Pre-registration sale, $200 off. This is going to be the lowest price. That is the only sales pitch that I ever do on this show. That is going to be the lowest price. And promo runs until February 24 1st. Excuse me. So check it out. And we look forward to hopefully seeing you in Denver. All right. All right. So next, raising <laughs> private capital with Self-directed IRAs. Oh, my gosh. That's what we're talking about at our next meetup. Talking about it in person in our Houston meetup, March 3rd. DisruptEquity.com slash HTX meetup. Check it out. Yeah. Go get registered. We'd love to see you guys in person. Come hang out with us. Yeah, so that's going to be March 3rd, 7 p.m. We usually have 150 people out there. You know, we do that with the invested agents and Sandmore Investments. Great guys, great firms. We partner with them. Look forward to talking about that then. So what are we talking about next week, man? Biggest mistakes of our real estate investing career. Oh my gosh. For those of you that watch the show, you know it's picking the right partner is my <laughs> biggest mistake. No. <laughs> Perfect layup. That was pretty good though. No, no. All right. So we're talking about that next week. Thank you everybody. Have a great week and we'll see you then. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode on Disrupt Equities Apartment Investing Podcast. We have some really great episodes coming up, so make sure to subscribe to the podcast. For those interested in passively investing in cash-flowing multifamily properties, visit disruptequity.com invest. 
Fill out your information there and you will get notified when we release our next multifamily passive investment offering.